Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 309, Talking Merriams with Donald Devereaux Jarrett. And I am your co-host and the guy who went on a dove hunt. I'm using air quotes this past weekend. And I'm your co-host and the guy who's not first. He's last. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing the Alabama dove hunt didn't have many birds. Well, the short answer is no. And it was a hunt that my buddy Chip put together at his house, which was very thoughtful and required a lot of work on his behalf. The hunting part of the dove hunt was poor. The rest of the day was great. I got to spend some time with... What's that? That's a good thing about a dove hunt. The camaraderie is really fun. Yeah. I got to spend a lot of time with my dad and, oh, five or six hunting buddies and and ate some really good food. And so it was a good day all the way around. So I have to tell you, though, that I batted zero. Oh, you whiffed? With my one shot... 
Oh, no. At a dove, I missed. Wow. Now, do you you don't shoot at moving birds very often? So, are are you a pretty good <laughs> shot at moving birds? Flying. I'm a much better shot at moving birds, especially when the target is the size of a turkey's head. Yeah, you're used to that. And it's juking and jiving through the trees. That's where I mm-hmm. excel. Yeah. When well, they're standing like still, looking at me. No. There is no fun in that. <laughs> I'll take those, uh, and you can shoot the other one that's running off after I kill mine. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask that, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I have friends who are very athletic people and can, you know, shoot a deer or a turkey all day, but you put them in a dove field, man, you better hope Walmart has plenty of shells. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you don't grow up shooting at moving, you know, ducks, doves, quail, that kind of thing, I mean, that, that's tough. You're just not used to it. Yeah, but well, I've got some experience and I'm I'm the because I don't do it often enough. I'm the guy that when he gets hot, he's hot. And yeah. And when he's my cold, brother's... he's cold. <laughs> my brother is that way. He if he misses the first one, the next 10 are going to get by him. But if he hits that first one, they better watch out. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's like a confidence thing, too. Yeah, but. It, that's good. Well, you only got to shoot once. If you get on a good dove hunt, that's good training for uh, even turkeys to where they're running off. You get used to putting a little bit of a lead and that kind of thing. I mean, that, that helps. Yeah, it does. I used I, to shoot a, a fair amount of sporting clays when I was hmm. younger. And, you know, I was, again, always a decent shot on the sporting clay range. But it's something that I would say in my late 20s i really quit shooting sporting clays as frequently and going into my 30s i basically quit altogether so my experience shooting flying birds comes on what is usually my one dove hunt of the year and therefore i'm very streaky nice have you ever had to shoot a gobbler that was flying i have yeah okay i have too yeah <laughs> quite interesting they, they make quite the thud when they do hit the ground Boy, i tell you i shot one so years and years ago i was in the same hunting club that i was in last year and the year before and there was this bird that loved to hang out on this real tall ridge and i got up there he was gobbling up on the ridge and i got up there i don't know how i managed it but i got just on the other side of of the top of the ridge from him and when i say the top of the ridge i'm talking about the top of the ridge is as wide as a truck there's a road that runs down the top of the ridge and it is just as wide as the tires on a truck yeah (laughs) and so i got up there and i made a little turkey sound and then all of a sudden i hear and i just froze and i was like wait a minute where is that joker and I cut my eye over to the right, and he's behind me. So he walked behind a rock. I turned, got the gun up, and he came out the other side of the rock. He's about 15 steps from me, and I missed him. And he took off flying, and when he did, I threw up and shot as he was flying. I mean, he'd gotten up in the air and was, was you know, <laughs> gosh, probably 25 yards from me at this point. And I shot... And remember, he's flying off the top of this ridge. So it doesn't, it's a pretty steep ridge. It doesn't take long before he's got a lot of mm-hmm. elevation yeah. from the ground below him. 
<laughs> he went wham right into a pine tree and it was like a cartoon. He just slid all the way <laughs> down the pine tree. Good lord. Hit I'm sure ground. he was a sight to behold. <laughs> oh, he was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the ground with a thud. And of course I took off running down the ridge. You know, my old story, my old safety adage, don't run with a gun and you know, do as I say, not as I do. Again, this was a lot of years ago. And I get down there to him and he's got that, you know, kind of the cuckoo head going on like they do in the cartoons as well with the little <laughs> stars in, in a circle around his head. And it was raining feathers from where he slid down that pine tree. It was awesome. It was a great day. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've killed one. Well, I've killed two flying. The first was my first ever bird. I mean, I literally just straight up shot him when he was flying over me. But the second one, I shot a bird and hit him in the body and blew him down. But he got back up and, you know, was disoriented because he didn't know where the gun had come from and what had just happened to him. And he just took out flying. Well, he literally could not have flown more directly at me. (laughs) (laughs) And I just waited. Oh, I just waited and waited. And then when he got just... 12 o'clock right over me, you know, 10 yards, boom, and just rocked him straight in the head. And then he came crashing down. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it felt weird. I mean, it, it honestly felt weird shooting turkey out of the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but, I went I went hunting when I was in college and just really getting into turkey hunting. Actually, I think I may have been out of, I think it was my first year out of college. I went with one of my dad's friends. Now, this guy, he... He passed away recently, but he was one of the finest wing shooters around. Hmm. He would come to a dove field at 2 o'clock in the afternoon with his 410, a box of shells, would shoot 16 times, and at 3.30, he leaves with 15 birds and goes home. With a 410. With a 410. He would go to the sporting clay range with a 410 and break 95, 96 birds on the sporting clay range unreal yeah that is some talent yeah he was ridiculous so he and i were turkey hunting we're walking down this road and there was a turkey roost he wasn't roosted for whatever reason he'd flown up in this little i'm going to call it a sapling because <laughs> it was about uh, 20 foot tall i don't even know if it was a softwood or hardwood tree i can't even remember what kind of tree it was but he flew up in this tree and it was the trees right on the edge of the road. Well, when he saw us coming, he took off flying across the road. You don't do that to a good wing shooter. <laughs> Instinct kicks in. Yeah, the guy's name was O.T. Miller. O.T. threw the gun up. Boom! And the head on that turkey just went straight down. Just boom. And the bird's still flying. <laughs> but he, I mean, I can see it like it just happened. He was so dead that he, I mean, he was still flying and he went about, I'd say probably 25 feet or so further and, and finally dropped and hit the ground. But yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. All right. One more flying turkey story. I'll make it quick. My mentor was standing on the edge of a lake and was messing with a gobbler on the other side of the lake, just screwing around with him. He's standing on the bank of the lake. All of a sudden, he sees the turkey is flying across the entire lake to him. <laughs> he doesn't have time to move, so he just pulls his gun up, and the bird is about to land at his feet on the lake bank, and so he just folds him at five yards over the water. Drops him in the water. 
and he got he went out there and got it and took it into town when he checked it in they they accused him of shooting it with a slug you shot this bird with a rifle you can't do that he's like i swear i shot it with my shotgun he was just so close and he said it, they finally pushed the wad back out of him <laughs> wow <laughs> was that close? <laughs> i'm sure yeah. he was a sight to behold too oh yeah yeah I, anyway. I shot one at very close distance like that and and yeah the entire wad with all the shot in it went through his head. It did look like he was shot with a slug. Yeah, I mean, what do you, you could do? see through it. Yeah, that's hey, that's good shooting right there. That's yeah. that's a tougher shot than a forty yard, in my opinion. Oh yeah, no doubt. And all this talk about turkey hunting's got me fired up. And we're a hundred and seventy days, nine hours, fifty six minutes, and fifty nine seconds away from opening day of turkey season in Alabama. <sighs> And we are 184 days, 9 hours, 26 minutes from opening day in Tennessee. But I'll be chasing them Saturday morning in the great state of Missouri. All right. Yeah, and we'll get the old shotgun out. Shotgun season in Missouri is the whole month of October. I'm going to go do it. Do it to it. Going in blind. I well, gotta... you're, in, you're in pursuit of a gobbler. Yes. Or I would shoot a Jake, most likely. Okay. And potentially, I, ha- I just don't know how I'm going to handle it. We'll see how the hunt goes. A hen, maybe, because I the only reason why is I would want to make a couple wing bone calls out of the hen wings. Mm-hmm. And it's legal in Missouri. I just, it's going to have to feel right. Like, she's going to have to really be ugly, like, noticeably barren, you know, well yeah. past her years. She needs to go anyway kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, but I am pursuing a gobbler. That would be ideal. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's going to be an interesting. I've never gone fall hunting to where I literally just am showing up somewhere I've never been in my life and hoping for the best. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, take your recorder. Oh, it'll be with me. And I'm just going to stick with my theory of I know I can't kill him if I'm sitting here at the house. There's and no doubt about that. If I'm sitting on a tree calling somewhere in Missouri, there's a much higher chance of a gobbler accidentally walking by. So, yeah, that that's what I'm gonna do. But I, uh, in reference to my the guy who's last, I came in fourth in the NWTF recipe contest. Mm. If you ain't first, you're last. But we called it the pheasant feta burger one, I believe. Really. Yeah, just I mean, that's hard just, to beat pheasant. Yeah, especially in burger form with some fat in there. I mean, that's got to be a really good recipe. I, I probably will try that recipe with turkey meat, personally. Yeah. And I bet it's going to be very good. Now, had I submitted my firecracker meatball recipe, not only would I have won, they would have most likely hired me as chef for the NWTF mm. every Because I'm telling you, my turkey meatballs are on another level. Hmm. But yes, my biryani got fourth. And I got a really nice prize package from NWTF. They were very generous with it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I got like a really nice Stone River knife set, like kitchen ceramic knives. Yeah. And then I got a big like butcher's knife with the NWTF logo on it. And then I got two more ceramic knives, a box call, a mouth call, a couple hats, um, a flashlight that also charges your cell phone. I thought that was pretty neat. That's cool. And a bottle opener. I think that's about it. But it was a, it was a nice package. So I'm hoping my biryani recipe spreads good joy throughout the world now. 
And that recipe is on the NWTF website now? I'm not sure if they've posted yet. The guy who cooked them all posted, and so that's why I'm saying it now, because obviously the cat's out of the bag, but they told us not to say anything. I've known for a couple weeks now, but I was waiting for somebody on their end to post something about it. I didn't want to be the one that ruined it or something. So, mm-hmm. But I haven't seen anything on the NWTF website or anywhere like that, but... You can find that recipe, the wild turkey biryani, on my Instagram page if anybody's interested in cooking it. It's from about a couple months ago, maybe a month ago. And it's it's a good one. It's very good. Yeah. I'll be getting that recipe and cooking that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying that one. I'll bring us, I'm going to kill us a fall gobbler and I'll bring him down there to Alabama and we'll cook him up. You do that and I'll have the bourbon ready. This, This sounds like a plan. Well... It's going on the show, so I can't take it back at this point. I just have to provide my end of the bargain, and I'm very hopeful that I can do that. Well, I've got a liquor cabinet full of my end of the bargain, so... Yeah, I was going to say, your end might be a little easier to uphold, but I'll I'll find a lot of enjoyment in trying to get my end filled. All right. But anyway, this week, Donald Devereaux Jarrett. Man, it was an awesome interview. He's fired up about turkey hunting. I I love it. Man, I this, love having guests on like him. Oh, man. This guy, you can tell he loves it. Lives and breathes it just like me and you and a lot of our listeners. And he's he's killed and called up a bunch of Merriam's turkeys. So anybody who's wanting to knock out that leg of a Grand Slam or just experience out west for once, this is an interview you're going to want to listen to because the Merriam's turkey is different than your eastern. Different habitat, some different characteristics. Still a turkey, but a little bit different. There's some subtleties that you, you need to pick up on before you go hunt them, in my opinion. They make a beautiful trophy. They are oh such my God. a beautiful bird, and they come from some of the most beautiful country. It, there seeing is, those I mean. white fans strutting, because a lot of times you get to watch them for hundreds of yards, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that white fan, if the sun hits it, I mean, they, they are gorgeous birds. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've shared some turkey killing stories ourselves. We've talked about eating turkeys. Now we're talking about Miriam's turkeys. Uh, this is just an episode I'm all fired up about. So let's get into this thing and let's listen to Donald Devereaux Jarrett. Let's do it. Y'all all right. tune in and we'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode. I'm excited to tell y'all we have on the line with us, live from Eatonton, Georgia, Donald Devereaux Jarrett. Some of you may know him as the author of Compositions of a Sickness, a book that I recently posted about and finished reading. And I'm really excited to have him come on the podcast tonight after getting to read his book. I feel like I already have shared some hunts with you. (laughs) Well, we, we can do it. We can do better than that one day down the road, then. <laughs> awesome. Well, Donald, how are you, and where are you? You at home right now? Yeah, I am. I actually worked today. Got off about uh, I don't know, quarter to six. Actually, got off a little bit early today. But um, yeah, I'm at home. I'm in uh, in my little man cave down here. This is where I stay. All right. Well, and we also have Andy on the line. <laughs> and last, but but definitely least. <laughs> good deal well so as i understand everybody calls you dj so if you don't mind i'm gonna do the same 
that would be fine. I've had worn that nickname for as long as I can remember. Well, and, and I, that's a lot nicer than the nickname that I have, especially around the house. So yeah, I think you should be proud of that one. <laughs> Good deal. I've got some of those too, but going to that. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been wondering because Cameron and I are getting on a little kick here where we're going to start interviewing more authors because there seem to be more and more turkey hunting books out there these days. And I'm definitely mm-hmm. not sad about that, but no, that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. What is it that possessed you to undertake the task of writing a book about turkey hunting? Well, it, it's, it's all about the passion for turkey hunting. That's all it is. It's, it started many years ago when I started turkey hunting, I, I decided I was going to just do a journal you know, just kind of keep up with things because I just fell in love with it right away. And uh, so I started doing that, and I was just sitting there one day in the off-season, probably this time of year, dreaming about turkey hunting. And, and I I picked it up, and I was thumbing through it, and I thought, this is some really dry, boring – it was just stats, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I'm going to start writing it in story form. And uh, I did that. And sometime later, way down the road, a friend of mine was over at my house, and he saw these tablets that I was just handwriting this stuff. I don't even have a computer at the time. And uh, he said, what's that? I said, that's my turkey book. I'm just joking around, you know. He said, it's a turkey book. I said, yeah. He said, can I read it? I said, if you can read the writing, you can. You know, have at it. So he took it home with it. Long story short, he read it. His mother read it. His dad read it. And one of his brothers read it. And I finally got it back like a month later. And uh, he said, "Mom said when you uh, when you get that published, she wants a copy." I said, "I'm not getting that published. That's junk, man." I said, "That's just personal junk. That's nothing. You know, nobody's going to read that." He said, "She said get it published." I said, "Well, I'll look into it." And it was it was some year or two later. I was just finally had access to a computer, and I started googling around, and I found this company this guy had out in Seattle, Washington, because I thought. At the time, it was going to be one of these, you know, you got over 500 copies, and right. you'll, never, you'll never be able to. And as it turned out, it was a, a print-on-demand kind of thing, and I was able to get it going. And, and I just thought, well, it'll be great because I can give my kids a copy, give my parents a copy, my brothers and a couple of friends, and that'll be it. And uh, it went way beyond that. And a lot of people, as word spread around, I started selling copies here and selling copies there. And this was before social media, you know, so I didn't really have a way to – I just throw some on eBay or anything just to get it out there. And I've, yeah. I saw quite a few. And, and the guy that uh, had the company, he, he later retired. And when he retired, he, he shut the company down. And I was like, oh, well, I'm out of print, you know. Mm-hmm. And I uh, actually found a company up in Alpharetta near Atlanta, which I, I really must have wanted to, to get it published again bad back in print to go to Atlanta because I'm I just not a big fan <laughs> of driving up there. But it got up there and uh, – Ended up getting it, getting it done. Sat sat down with the people up there. They were great. They did a super job with on, on the second edition, and and it's taken off again. So it's it's done really well. It's really surprising. But as a result of that, I started. I got into had an interview article with a magazine here in Georgia, which is as a sister magazine in Alabama. It's uh, Georgia Outdoor News here, Alabama Outdoor News over there. Yeah. And I freelance for those guys. And I recently, just this year, started freelance writing for Mossy Oak. I was on their pro staff already. And 
because Strickland, who everybody knows that's ever turkey hunted, talked to me in Nashville about doing some writing for them because he had read my stuff in Alabama and Georgia. So I was jumped all over that, you know, and that's how all that snowballed. But, you know, it's it's been a blast. I mean, I really have enjoyed it. That book, Competitions of Sickness, is a little bit primitive, if I, if I had to say so, because I didn't know anything about writing at the time. I just was putting stuff down, you know. But I'm proud of it because it was it was a an accomplishment, you know. Oh yeah, you you should be. I've I've read quite a few turkey books and I really enjoyed yours. It well, like you said it there. It's not a it's not a how to. It's a, just a story of how it is and how yep. to turkey yep. hunt. And you know you kind of capture everybody right there off the bat, sharing your first turkey story, how you got into it, and it just felt like I was following along with you as you learned and, and everything and hearing the trials and errors and hearing about Sergeant Pepper. And it just, no, I really enjoyed dude. it. <laughs> well, I it sounded like he was I, a bad man. He was a bad dude. And, and he was too good for me. And, and I've, I've even entertained, let my mind go. All right. If I could beat Pepper today, as opposed to way back then, what would happen? And he'd probably still whip my, my fanny. So uh, <laughs> he was bad to the bone. That's awesome. Well, he probably taught you a lot about turkey hunting, though. He did. He did. You know, you can learn something from everybody in the turkey woods, good or bad. You know, I don't ever want to do that. Or that was cool. I need to. I need to put that in the filing cabinet. But you can also learn an awful lot from the turkeys. I've learned probably more from a bunch of bad turkeys over the years than I have from people. Not that I haven't learned a good bit from people, but I'm, I've been doing it long enough to have been taught quite a bit by some some cantankerous old birds. Mm-hmm. Well, and go go ahead and tell everybody if if they want to get a copy of your book. The way I did it was I messaged you on Facebook at you know Donald That's Devereaux right. Jarrett on Facebook, and I asked for a signed right. copy and I paid you on PayPal. Is that the best way for people to get a copy? Yeah, PayPal works really well. It's it's quick. You know, it's there and as quick as I see the money because I'm not going to ship anything until. I, I get the payment, and that's not an arrogance thing. It's just a safety thing. I've I've been burned a time or two over the years. You know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. been around a long time, and and so I just when I get payment, then I'll I'll uh, I'll send the book. Now I'll, I will take a personal check, and and uh, anybody that messages me on Facebook about it, I, I'll give them the info. PayPal or personal checks, the two ways to do it. PayPal is, is obviously the easiest, quickest way, but if you don't have PayPal, then then a, a personal check's fine too. And I'll give you, you know, address and all that stuff. And it's a pretty simple yeah. procedure. Yeah, well, I highly suggest to our listeners to pick up a copy of that. I'm probably going to keep shopping for a first edition myself just to have it in the <laughs> library. Good luck. Let's <laughs> have you find one. Yeah, I saw that. That was how I got on to you. I saw one on eBay, the first edition, but it was a little pricey for me. So I went with the second edition for my first reading. <laughs> Well, it's going to make you feel good. It. Yeah, it does. It's flattering, but it's also it's it's funny. I I tell people all the time. You know, I've had people talk to me about the book and and the writing and the the various pro staffs and such, and and they're like, man, when I got on Mossy Oak, they were like, man, you, you you've hit big time. I said, oh well, no, I've not hit big time. I said, it doesn't make me anything special. None of this does, but it it makes me part of something it is and that's how you have to keep proper perspective so it, it, it's flattering and it's humbling but it's also it's kind of funny because uh, i would give you six bucks for it you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's because you have a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, you got plenty of copies. Yeah, I have a pretty good file. And you got it in your brain, too. You can think about it all the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one thing that I'd really like to talk about with you today that caught my attention in your book is you're, you were born and raised in Georgia. Is that right? That, that's correct, yeah. Okay. But you ended up, I don't know if you still do or not, but you guided Merriam's turkey hunts in South Dakota, it sounded like, for years. I did. And, and I tell you what, that's some of the absolute fondest memories of the turkey woods I've ever have, ever will have. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was just, uh, that was the, the absolute best turkey hunting I've ever seen, or ever will see. I can, <laughs> I can honestly believe that when I say it. It sounded like it from the stories. I mean, it was like, well, we messed up that one. We went and got on this one, and then that one, you know, he missed him twice, and then yeah. we went after this one. <laughs> yeah, It's like, man, that yeah, sounds it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole different game there. And, uh, you know, here in, in, where I live, and, and everybody, uh, I say everybody, a lot of people are going to say the same thing, that, you know, where's the toughest place to hunt? Turkeys, and, and most people are going to say, right in my backyard, you know, that's the toughest birds, and and uh, I, you know, I welcome anybody to come down here and hunt this management area that I hunt because it's it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe. But if you mess up on a bird here, you you might get on another bird next week. Maybe it's just that bad. It's just that, that tough. So up there, it was like, you know, you when I was learning to guide and learning the process and how those birds differed from here and so forth. The first time I messed up a a hunt for a client, and I did. I, I don't I don't remember what I did, but I messed the hunt up, and I felt so bad. I was crawling to a rock, you know. I was embarrassed, and it was like, and they're like, "Oh, that's okay, that's okay." And when they the way they passed it off, I said, "Yeah, these these guys have got good many birds where they live," and I still had no idea how thick it was. Now I had hunted there the year before I started guiding, mm-hmm. but I still was learning. Okay, we messed up, no big deal. We'll find another one, and and it was like thirty minutes later, you know, we had two more come in and it was, it was over and it was like that just doesn't happen here you know so yeah pretty cool. well that kind of concept kind of reached out to me because you know a lot of people who live around here that hunt easterns and stuff all the time they dream of going out west and getting that white fan merriams Sure. And, yep. you know, part of the Grand Slam, and even if you're not even doing the Grand Slam, it's, it's just that white fan. Everybody wants one of those, you know? <laughs> sure. So I was going to, gonna, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've killed a couple myself, but I'm no expert yeah. by any means. I, I haven't hunted them very often. And so I wanted to right. talk to you because I hunt mostly Easterns. And I, I'll be honest, like, if you laid out a map, right now i'd feel more comfortable that i would be able to pinpoint where an eastern would be than a merriam's and Mm -hmm. i wanted to just kind of get another southerner's experience because you have hunted both extensively and see what you know because i'm planning to go to wyoming and montana this year to hunt merriam's and so i'm wanting to be prepared for that and i know there's a lot of other people wanting to go hunt merriam's turkeys so with what would you say is the biggest difference between hunting a merriam's and your georgia eastern well i think the first thing that comes to mind and i base this on my experience here uh, and where i live uh, would would be pressure that's, that's the mm-hmm. biggest difference that, that that changes those birds you can take one of those and i got, I got tickled over the years that some of the people that thought we got our butts whipped a client and, and i got our butts whipped one day and and when the bird finally gobbled out and walked off he turned and looked at me and he said dj i thought 
I thought mirrors were supposed to be dumb, and I just busted out laughing. I mean, I I spit my diaphragm out, you know. I'm like, <laughs> no, I said it's just a turkey man. I said he whipped us, and that's all there is to it, you know. And you could take one of those dumb old Miriams and bring him down here to my neck of the woods in this management area that I hunt a lot and drop him in there. If if he lives a season, next year he's going to be just as smart as all those Easterns running around in there. Mm-hmm. So pressure is the biggest thing, I think, as far as, you know, you get, you've got to look at habitat. It's a lot more open out there in a lot of those places, particularly in Miriams' habitat. It's uh, Easterns, you know, they like the woods. I've hunted some some of the prettiest wooded areas you ever seen in your life in South Dakota and Nebraska, and couldn't couldn't find a bird and get out yeah. on the edges and start trolling there, and they're, they're way out in the middle of the prairie, you know. So they like the open ground. That's a big deal, and that and that that affects the way you have to hunt them because they're you know you can't just you hear a bird in these eastern hardwoods and you just take off and get to a good spot and you find your proper setup and and, and work the bird out there. You're like, well. He's right over there, but he's, you know he's like a hundred yards. But I can't go over here to set up on him. If he doesn't come, I've got to go two miles around just to get on it. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a big deal. Of course, the roosting areas are are pretty predictable because they like to roost in the same spot night after night after night. I found out real quick that doesn't that doesn't spell roasted turkey by any means. You know, it's nice to know where to start. Yeah, but, you know, Eastern's here where I live particularly on public ground, because of the pressure, they bounce here and there and here and there. They're not, they're not, you know, you'll catch one in a pocket somewhere that hasn't had as much pressure that comes back pretty regularly. But those, those are three of the things right there that, that make the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. They're a whole lot more apt to gobble throughout the day than an Eastern. And again, when I say this, I'm, I'm basing it on, on my experiences here where I live. And I've hunted Easterns in, in several states. I've hunted Easterns in Missouri that acted entirely different Easterns here in Georgia, where I hunt. Yeah. So you can't can't throw it all on the subspecies. I think I think pressure has a lot to do with it. But I tell you what, it's some of the prettiest country you'll ever walk in when you when you're walking in the, where the Miriams live. Yeah. Yeah. And what part of the what? state were you were you guiding in? You don't need to tell me the the coordinates I was, on the air anyway. No, I was in uh, Gregory County uh, in the Missouri Breaks. We were out in the prairie units. Which, that's a draw there. It's not a over-the-counter deal. Yeah, I had limited license and still that way. But it's along the Missouri Breaks. We hunted in out of a little town called St. Charles. Good luck finding that on the map. We had at one time between thirty-five and 40,000 acres that we guided on between South Dakota wow. and Nebraska. We hunted on the Niobrara River down there and in, yeah. in, uh, just outside of Butte, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, wow. A lot of ground in both states. Yeah. What I'll say, when I hunted Merriam's, I had good success early morning and good success late evening. But, I, you know, I hunt all day when I go. And I couldn't find them midday. Like you said, they disappear really? out into the prairie, you know? They do. Uh, I was wondering, do you have, like, a strategy that seemed to work for you midday with Merriam's? You know, like, is, is there habitat to kind of look for? Because when I would stick to those creek bottoms, they were gone till roost time. And then here they come back, you know, yodeling over the hill and coming down there. Right. But well, I couldn't I find them midday. Yeah. They're, they're, they can be tough to find, but now, now when you do, you need to file that away because they're habitual birds. Now, a, a Miriams, you have to keep in mind, when they hit the ground in the morning, they've got somewhere to be. And that yeah. place oh, that yeah. they want to be is right back by dark. So they're going to make a big, wide, trolling 
circle somewhere. Finding that somewhere is the key. But from the guiding experiences of where I was from Miriam's, we were in the woods all day too. So we covered so many miles for so many days for so many years that we became, uh, we know these birds in this area like to go here and this kind of type of day. It, it, it's about putting in a lot of time. Now for the people that are going out to do it yourself hunt out and mm-hmm. just going to Miriam's habitat, where do I go? Well, it, that varies, uh, of course, from the prairie to the black hills, for example, in South Dakota, two different kinds of hunts. Um, you've just got to depend, depends on what, what the weather's doing a lot, but we did find them in our creek bottoms a lot when the weather dictated that that's where they were going to be. If it got really mm. super hot, and when I say super hot, South Dakota is one of the most roller coaster ride of temperatures you'll ever see. Yeah. I've seen opening days of eight degrees, and I've seen opening days of 93 degrees. But when you hit <laughs> 70 degrees in the, in the prairie, it gets hot because it's just wide open sun baking down on you. So when they get hot, they'll lock it down just like an Eastern or an Osceola or something yeah. else that, you know, they, they're going to they settle down, they conserve their energy, and they just go loaf in the shade. But the thing about those wide open areas, you might be glass in a prairie trying to find them. They're not vocal as much. And then you find one group of cedars, maybe two cedars out in the middle of the prairie, yeah. and look under that cedar with those glasses from 500 yards, and you might see 12 turkeys just standing there or sitting there. And uh, that's hard deal to deal with because you can't move on them and they're not, you know, responding. So the only thing you can do with that is either A, just keep trolling until you find something you can get to, or B, just sit down in the shade yourself and, and be patient. Patience has so many different means in turkey hunting. And it's not just about, well, I'll call and I'm going to give him time. It's also about uh, knowing where tur- turkeys like to be at certain times of the day and not knowing where they are in between, which is what we're talking about here. So if you know where some are and where they'd like to be later on, then you're going to have to use your time to either wait them out, keep up with them with binoculars if they're not talking. And that's the great thing about that wide open place. If you go out west somewhere to hunt Miriam's and you don't have a good set of binoculars, you're, man, you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big disadvantage. That was, you know, I've, I've hunted the, the prairie ground in South Dakota yeah. for Miriam's and, and I, I was blown away at where you could find turkeys and it's just like you said you know (laughs) a little video scrub brush and there'd be turkeys there and you know coming from the the eastern side of the mississippi man you wouldn't even hunt within 10 miles of that place (laughs) in alabama or georgia or tennessee or mississippi you drive right on past it and and we did for sure a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you probably drove by quite a few turkeys, but, yeah, you know, the roost sites are easy to find because they're going to talk plenty in the mornings, plenty in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a creek bottom with cottonwood trees on South Dakota, you can find turkeys if they've got them. Right. If, if mm-hmm. the county you've got has got them, you'll find them. But mm-hmm. that part's the easiest part, locating. Yeah. Now, you know, Merriam's kind of have a stigma that people believe that you can just call your head off at them do you think you can call a lot more to a merriam's turkey than an eastern when i first got into turkey hunting i hunted a few years and then i i was so on fire i just i just couldn't get enough so a buddy of mine said hey we got to go up to the slam let's do it so we did and we we took off and went to texas 
But before we went to Texas, we had a couple of guys we talked to at a show, a hunt show, that were nationally known guys that had what they were with a call company. And we talked to them. We told them we were going to Texas. You know, we were all fired up, just telling anybody and everybody. And uh, I said, well, let me give you some advice. When you get out there on those Rios, and I've heard the same thing about Miriam, uh, call them till they get there. They love it. And we were like, oh, that's it. That's, that's what we want. That's perfect. <laughs> so, I like this plan. Yeah, but we found out, thankfully, in Texas, before we ever went to South Dakota, because we went first leg, you know, of course, here, and then we went to Texas. We did well, and we're next year with South Dakota. But thankfully, we found out before we ever took off to South Dakota that, no, you need to back off that. And I caution anybody that goes into any turkey woods anywhere in the country to refrain from that. I, turkey's a turkey, man. That's all it is. That's all it is. And that turkey can tell you how to work him if you pay attention. And that doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. But if you're going to think that you're going to just sit down and call your head off to every Miriam that walks by and you're going to come in there and he's going to come in and you're going to blow his head off, you're wrong. This is not going to happen that way. It doesn't mean it never does. Always and never don't apply in the turkey woods anywhere. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't I don't put any stock into just call, 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 and they'll come running over you because they can lock it down too. I think hunters hang up turkeys more than any other thing and most of the time that's from over calling to them. so i hope i answered your question there but that's, that's yeah no that was about. perfect yeah and one other discussion with calling to mariam's do you use diaphragm calls or it sounded like in your book you you had a buddy or something that had the coffin or a box call yeah and yeah that's on mike mike moody is he's still still in operation there and i go see him almost every spring and i was supposed to go this spring and got canceled out with the covid stuff but yeah he had a call and when when we first started like i say went out there and hunted with him one year and and that year he and i were walking in through this bottom in the snow hunting turkeys i thought what the heck is this you know (laughs) but we were walking along and he he suggested you know maybe down the road that i might come out there and work for him and, and we just lightly touched on it and i was kind of like yeah okay i didn't even really take it seriously i thought we were just chit-chatting but anyway he had a box call and he said this is all i ever use i said really he said yeah it was a walnut lid on a walnut box and it was high pitched i did notice that he said yeah they don't like diaphragms out here and i, I kind of thought well, that's odd you know not that i'm going to win a grand national but i was decent enough at the time still you know already at that point that i felt confident in it which is the main thing with the end call you use anyway mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i couldn't wait to prove him wrong and when i went out there I, I had been home less probably a week and he called and said hey come up and and uh, guide for me next year and i was like yeah absolutely so i did and i couldn't wait to prove him wrong to go nah, this i can call him with this and it wasn't an arrogance thing it was a, it was a point proving thing and Mike has killed, I don't know how many turkeys, and I'm, when I say he's killed, I'm talking about calling up for other people, you know, over the years. But he's a friction guy because he can't run a diaphragm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the versatility of being able to use different things. And when I first started out, I had an egotistical thing that you're you're not, it's, it's kind of like saying, well, you're not a true deer hunter unless you bow hunt. Come on, man. You know, it's the same thing with turkeys. It, it, it doesn't matter what you call them up with. In fact, I, I find it more rewarding to use different things and I got this one with a tube, I got this one with a trumpet, mm-hmm. I got this one with a wing bone, you know, so right. the more the merrier to me now. I didn't used to be that way. Ninety 
five percent of the turkeys I called up were with a diaphragm, but they just didn't die. And I, I'm like, man, you need to get over this. And then I did. <laughs> and when I did, I started killing more turkeys. For one, I ended up, you know, I, I killed a bunch of miriams with diaphragm because I just like a diaphragm. I like my hands free. And of course, when, when you're guiding, you're, you know, you don't have to shoot anyway. So it didn't really matter. They do love a box calling up there, particularly high pitch, clear stuff. I, I used a Quaker board grand old master when I first started guiding out there and it, it had a cherry lid on the popper box and high pitch and they ate it up. I mean it was mm-hmm. and, and and learning how to call them too is a little different out there than what you call Eastern. I think it is. The cadence is a little quicker. <laughs> Those hens are a little faster when they yelp and a little higher pitch most of the time. But I tell you what, sometimes when you're not you're not getting it to happen and you throw one of those little aspy nasty diaphragms in there, it can make a difference. Yeah, I was going to ask why you think it is that the Merriams seem to respond to those higher pitch calls a little bit better. Is it because they carry further, you think, or is it because the hens, it more closely resembles the hens generally? I, I think it's the latter. Okay. I think it's the latter. I think it's just their natural tone. Uh, I think it's normal. It's it's natural. I, and I, I would say that a higher pitch is going to carry a little further, too. And, of course, that's hunted out there in, in those wide-open places, too. And, and man, that, uh, you know, that wind can get really bad. Right. So mm-hmm. Box calls, glass calls, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people think that if they're using a diaphragm, it's the loudest thing they can use. It's right there in their ears, you know. And it's really not. It just doesn't carry. But uh, that old box call and glass call are, are pretty nasty out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Speaking of the wind out there, I know you've seen days like this, but one of the days that I hunted out there, it was about 34 degrees. The wind was blowing mm-hmm. 50 miles an hour, and they had 60-mile-an-hour gusts. And I thought, oh yeah, why would you even say that there's 60-mile-an-hour gusts? Just say the wind's blowing 60 because there's not really a difference between 50 and 60. It'll still rip the door off of your vehicle. Well, we, we had a day like, just like you're talking about one time. And that was, that was the worst I'd ever seen it. It was, uh, it was blowing steadily at 60 and gusting to 80 and you could lean on it. You could just lean up against it. It'd hold you up. It's the craziest thing. (laughs) And we tell every one of our clients, please hold on to the truck door when you get out. Don't let go of it. Absolutely. And lo and behold, one of our guides let go of the truck door and it's flung it all the way around to the front fender. I mean, it just ruined it, you know. So yeah. it can get pretty rough. But now it's funny. It's funny you watch one of those old gobblers when it's not blowing that hard, of course. But when he's walking around out there in that open period and the wind's blowing hard and his fan's blowing all up over on top of his head while he's trying to strut, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty comical. But. <laughs> Well, we did end up killing a bird that day, but it was not your textbook turkey hunt. I'm sure it wasn't. It's hard, hard to make one like that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a, a pretty place out there, and, you know, something it is. I think everyone should, should go and experience. Even if they're not into getting a Grand Slam, you know, it's just... It's, it's totally different. Yeah, and it is exactly it is. what you said, DJ. It is just absolutely beautiful country. It is, and you know we're we're just a little speck where we sit right. in, in Tennessee and out Georgia. We're we're just a little, little bitty tiny speck of this big old place, and there's a lot of great places to hunt. People people ask me a lot of times. They'll go, "Oh hey, man, you kill turkey at home? Why do you go way out to Texas? Why do you go to Oklahoma? Why do you go to Kansas? Why do you go to South Dakota?" It's not about 
just going out there for a different bird, which I do enjoy. It's about hunting different places and, and seeing the country, you know, because we're, mm-hmm. we're here for just a little while. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that one, one question that I get asked a lot is, you know, in, in a one to four ranking with the toughest being the one and four being the least toughest, how did, would you rank the subspecies of turkeys and toughest to hunt? And, that's not even really a fair question because I've hunted Miriams and Easterns the most and Osceola's and, and uh, Rio's the least. But if I had to say how I would rank them, naturally I'm going to rank my birds right here as the toughest. And I would still probably put Osceola number two, but Osceola is a tough bird, but look at his habitat. I mean, I'm not going to run around in, in that jungle down there running my mouth all day um, <laughs> some of the stuff they got going on they could eat them you know <laughs> so it'd be Easterns and Osceola's and then I would probably rank Miriam's third and, and Rio's fourth so, but I've hmm. had my fanny whip my whole four of them and it hurts the same no matter where you stand <laughs> I totally agree with that I've had mine whipped by a few Rio's and you know I, I hear people all the time saying oh I I'd love to go to Texas and shoot one of those Rios down there. They gobble like crazy, and they just come running in, and I say, hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Run on out there. Yeah, you go on. <laughs> I mean, you'll yeah, you, you get a suicidal bird out of any subspecies if you hunt them enough. I mean, yeah. it happens. You know, even I've, I've killed suicidal birds right here on this management area that I talk about so tough, and I've had my fanny whipped in Texas and South Dakota and other states, and yeah, all of them, you know. They, mm-hmm. It's just turkey hunting. Yeah. yeah, I personally like. I think the eastern may be the hardest to kill, but I feel most comfortable hunting him because that's what I have most experience with. And so, sure, that makes that, sense. you know, that was part of. I'm wanting to learn more about the Merriam subspecies. I actually bought a book about Merriams that I'm going to read, and I figured somebody that had guided and called up as many Merriams as you had would uh, be a good source of info. <laughs> well, hey, I'll, I'll talk about a Miriam's or any of them any, anytime you want it on here or anywhere else. I, uh, I just, you know, the, the biggest key for me once I, and this, this was where it, I turned the corner when I, the, my first year of guiding in South Dakota and Nebraska, I, I was clueless as far as number one, I didn't know that bird. Number two, I didn't know that terrain. And so I had to learn all those things. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was tough. I mean, mm-hmm. most, yeah, all the clients killed birds except one. He went home because it started snowing so bad he couldn't. I mean, it was just pointless. We couldn't even be out there in it anymore. It got too deep. And Miriam's out there in the deep snow. They're used to spring snowstorms. It's no big deal. They'll settle back down. But when you get one of those like we had, that, I don't know, one year we had 27 inches. Okay. That was a lot of snow for a turkey to be trying to walk around in. He just can't. <laughs> They'll sit up in the roost all day long. And uh, yeah. they might fly down on the tree and go right back up. But once the thing that turned the corner for me on, on learning how to hunt Miriams and other birds as well was quit. I quit labeling that bird. I didn't say, you know, that's a Miriams or that's a Rio or that's a Osceola. I mean, you're talking about intimidation. First time I went to Osceola, was, I heard was all the horror stories. And oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, I, way i'm gonna go and kill a match with an osceola but the point was when i stopped labeling them for what they were i mean i already knew what they were they're they're miriams they're easterns or rios or osceolas whatever but 
where I turned the corner was when I stopped doing that and just hunted turkeys. It's mm-hmm. part of the learning process. And you work birds differently at home sometimes than you would on another day. You know, it's always going to be a twist in there. And that's one thing that's so great about turkey hunting. It's, it's, it seems like you never get the same thing every time. You, you always get something mm-hmm. different. And it's fun trying to figure that out. Yeah, definitely. Have you hunted uh, Merriam's in the mountains much? Only in the Black Hills, if you want to call that mountains. That's as, that's as high as I've gone for Merriam's. I have never hunted Merriam's outside the state of South Dakota, but I've hunted okay. two different, absolutely different ranges. And it, it was cool in both places. You know, I I prefer the prairie because, like you say, with the Easterns, that you, you're so familiar with and so comfortable mm-hmm. with, that was a comfort thing for me. When I went to the Black Hills, I went out guiding one year. I had steak. South Dakota tag and Nebraska tag, a Rosebud Sioux Tribe tag, and a Black Hills tag. And I said, I'm going to show every one of them. <laughs> and I did. But when I went to South Dakota, when I went to the Black Hills, I was like, yeah, I don't know about this because it's, it's big. It's big. You know, it's just way different than what I've been hunting on the prairie. Mm-hmm. So I had to feel my way around a little bit, but got lucky and, and got one out there too. But uh, I, I kind of wanted to run back home to, to the prairie after it was over. I'm like, okay, I've done this. I don't care. About that. <laughs> but that's that, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. You know. Yeah, enjoyed it. But I'm going back where I like to hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, well, down here you ride down the road and, and, and deer run out in front of you. Out there, elk are running out in front of it. It just kind of blew my mind. It's too much for this little country boy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's your plans for next spring? Do you know what you're doing yet? I've got some some tentative plans. Uh, I always, the minute the season's over, it's time to start thinking about the next one. And uh, mm-hmm. and I say that sincerely because if you're really, really into it and love it, it never ends. And it's just, uh, it's downtime. Deer season coming up here. We're both seasons in now. And rifle season's coming in in, in a few weeks here and, and it's great. I mean, I grew up deer hunting. We didn't have any turkeys around here when I was a kid. But, you know, when I deer hunt now, it's more about uh, just a few more days close to turkey season, you know. It's, getting, it's just something to do until turkey season. Mm-hmm. So my downtimes are I'm spent, you know, trying to figure out where I'm going to be next spring. And, and I spend a lot of time writing and the shows and that kind of stuff. But I think right now my plan is to go to South Dakota and Nebraska. I've got some invites. I got invite over in Alabama. Got invite in uh, Kentucky and possibly Texas. I'd like to go back and get another Osceola. So there's a lot of ifs in the balance right now. But I would, if I had to say one, definitely on the books for next year, it'd be, it'd be South Dakota, Nebraska. I mean, that's mm-hmm. home away from home, and I love it there. So. You said you weren't able to go last year because of coronavirus? No, couldn't. Yeah, that shut us down. I did get to go to Texas, but couldn't get to, to South Dakota. Things didn't work out for a couple of reasons. One, yeah. my girlfriend and I, her son, and my oldest son were going to go. And uh, she and I drove South Dakota tags, and uh, they didn't. So no big deal. We'll get Nebraska tags. They're over the counter. we got property there, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we got them, Nebraska shut down out-of-state sales. But that was mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's been different. I'm going to pull a throwback on you, Andy, like you used to do, and ask Donald, could you share the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt with us and what made it a success? Sure, absolutely. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the traditional term 
of uh, or meaning of success, and that's what we all talk about when we're pulling the trigger. I, I would like to add to that, though, that since I've grown up some, particularly in the turkey woods, I, I realize that it's not all, success doesn't necessarily mean that you walk out with one flung over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do. That is why I go. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I, mean, <laughs> I still love to, I still love to bust that tater. Now I, I do. But uh, I think uh, that was that was my trip in Texas. That's where I finished the season this year, and I killed them absolute magnum the first day we were there and then uh the the last morning we were there uh it set up on a, a group of goblin rios and that that's another thing that i'll i'll add uh, between miriams and rios a lot of times it's not always easy to identify jakes when they got not, not mm-hmm. as distinct as it is with an eastern to me and I had a group of birds gobbling, and I said, well, that's, that's a pile of birds there. You know, it must be, you know, six, eight birds in there, which is, you know, it's a pretty good group of birds. I'll I'll, I'll try that. So I go in there in the dark, and I set up. And, I, you know, every time I, I say these things, I'm thinking about other things that I could be, be talking about mirrors too, because, you know, down here in Eastern, and where I live, you, you rarely ever hear one before. It's pretty good light, and uh, mm-hmm. up there, man, you'll hear them drum. It's pitch dark, and you hear them drumming on the limb, and that sound carries so far, and you're like, God, like, man, he's he's right there. And then when it gets daylight, you realize they're 75, 80 yards away, you know. <laughs> but so anyway, you got these, uh, got this group of birds. I set up on them, and uh, when they flew down, it was it was pretty quick as it got just starting getting daylight. They started hitting the ground. I'm like, it's gonna be over quick. You know, I got to do something. So. I did my little thing and watched them walk off into the sunset, and it was over as far as I was concerned with those birds. But I, I learned a long time ago that if, if you don't just jump up and run off and start chasing, you don't have to do that. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Now, I can still I can walk in front of the sun down in the turkey woods. That's just what I do. But I also have learned to kick back and let things happen before you start making decisions. So... I I would call thinking maybe there's a mature bird in the bunch or maybe a mature bird around here somewhere. It was the year of the Jake out there. They were everywhere. Well, here directly, I hear a bird gobble way back down on the river. He's several hundred yards away. He gobbled. I said, he might have hit the call. And, you know, the more you hunt, the more you're able to tell a lot of times when a bird's hitting your call or not. Even in a group, you know, you've got to answer your call. So I hear this bird guy, I'll give him a second, I'll try him again, and I did, and uh, he hit it. I said, that bird's answer, and I'm going to sit right here. And I just shifted around the tree, and within, I don't know, 15 minutes max, he come bopping up the road full strut, and I shot him at 17 yards. So mm. that was the, the last shooting successful hunt I had this year. The first bird was actually better than the second one. The second bird had a quarter spurs. He was nice, but this first one was inch and five-eighth daggers. I mean, yeah. he was just a brute, but uh, great great time. Uh, love it out there in Texas. I've hunted Texas quite a bit, but not as much as here in, of course, South Dakota. Well, either of those birds would be welcome to ride on my shoulder any day. Hey, me too. I, here's, here's my theory <laughs> on turkeys. <laughs> on turkeys if he's got a full fan and his beard's long and i'm gonna shoot him i'm not gonna because i've rolled some birds over that i thought eh, it's gonna be a two-year-old bird probably or whatever you know he probably have three-quarter inch maybe an inch of spurs maybe and get up there and he'll be a horse and i'm like he didn't act like a horse and that's another thing where we <laughs> we, we try to 
determine how how this bird should act and this bird should act. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could I called birds in in South Dakota that came from a long way off and took their sweet time doing. They weren't running. They weren't gobbling every step of the way. They took forever. And when they showed up, I'm like, this is going to be an old Mac Daddy here. And, and it'd be just a young bird, you know, nothing special. Yeah. Of course, you'll, you'll have people that will argue, you know, you can't judge birds age by spurs. That's just a, that's a myth. And I, and I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a biologist. Don't pretend to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually had two gobbling birds whoop me for three days in South Dakota and I killed a couple other ones, but these same two beat me every day, midday and finally got them in the range. And I was like, Oh man, these are going to be Mac daddies, two Jake's. <laughs> That was, that was a yeah. that was a humbling experience, <laughs> isn't it? I just got whooped by two Jake Miriam's Jakes well, for three days. <laughs> been, been, there, been there, done that too. <laughs> Those are the ones you want to teach a lesson to. Yeah, I mean, you I, do. I want to go back next year? Now, I, I'm just not. I don't want to shoot any any more Jakes. I've shot Jakes in my life, and I'm not going to sit here and go, "Oh, I'll never shoot a Jake." I have shot Jakes. Huh. Uh, it's been a long, long time, but you know, I just don't want to shoot a Jake. It's just, it's kind of like shooting a spike to me. I just don't want to. But now mm-hmm. with the turkeys, the great thing is you don't have to wait till he's mature for three or four years. You can get him next year if he's around. If if you're lucky enough to run up on the same bird and, and get him, then, you know, got you back real quick. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, DJ, I, I've got to tell you, I've enjoyed this. I don't know if Cameron's got any other questions for you, but this has been a lot of fun and, you know, I've killed several Merriams, but don't have, I mean, anywhere near the experience that you've got with them. And this this was a, a great conversation for me, and I picked up quite a few things from you, and I appreciate that. Yeah, hey, I, I appreciate y'all having me. And, you know, I, I would like to reiterate that I, I'm not, I don't profess to be a, a master turkey hunter. I don't think there's such a thing. I think the only master in the turkey woods is that in the, doing the goblin. Um, but I do, I do try to learn something every year, and it's, it's pretty neat when you recognize something that I didn't even know that. You know, I never, I never thought of that, and uh, that can happen anywhere, anytime. I wish that I could have bundled up all those years, and I am working on a book currently about the the guiding experiences, just that time in South Dakota. Yeah. Um, mm. When it'll be out, I'm not sure. I'd like to have it ready for for next winter, next spring. But um, and if I do, I'll, I'll certainly let y'all know. But if I could take those times up and show you what it was, then that's still good. It's still better than just about anywhere you're gonna gonna hunt Miriam's. I promise you that. But and I'm just speaking about where where I was, and I'm speaking about my own experiences. I'm not bashing anybody else's place and saying we're better than y'all and all that stuff. But this sure. place was the most absolutely most incredible thing I've ever seen. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And uh, I say that full well, knowing that, uh, oh, no wonder you killed so many birds out there. Did anybody could. Well, maybe so. I don't know. But the point is, when you pull up on a, and this was my first year guiding, Mike, Mike Moody is the, the outfitter that I work for. He said, I got a surprise for you in the morning. As being a, a buddy of mine went back, the same guy that hunted with me the year before, he asked us to come out. And the other guy did it one year and said, nah, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. Because guiding is one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. Physically demanding, day in, day out, miles oh, yeah. upon miles. Mm-hmm. I was doing it six weeks at the time. So 
I never got tired of it. I got tired, but I get tired of it. But anyway, he took us out the first morning. This was before any hunters were to come in a few days later. We were getting things ready. We went to this draw, and you could see the Missouri River off in the distance. It was just gorgeous, you know, watching the sun come. But anyway, we're sitting there in the truck on this little knob looking over this, this draw. And it was a it was a cattle farm, which is Zedum out there, which is one reason that explains so many birds in such a concentrated area. But as it started getting closer to daylight, I could look down in this draw and, and I, I saw all these dark forms, but my brain couldn't, there's no way my brain was going to tell me that with turkeys because I would have said my brain's lying. There's no way. There's no such thing. No, no way any, that amount of birds could be in one draw. And as it got a little bit lighter, I could have sworn I saw a couple of them move. I'm like, it looked like grapes hanging there, just big blobs, you know. And, you know, that, that one, that's, he, it, it, it still wasn't daylight. He goes, DJ, stick your head out the window and do a locator. And I hit about three notes of a barn owl, and that, that whole bottom erupted. And it was like <laughs> somebody had a bucket, and they were just pouring gobbles out of it, and it rolled all the way down to the other end of the draw. And when the the last one on the end gobbled. The one at the front would gobble at the other end, and it rolled through again. And I, I mean, my mouth just hit my chest. I mean, I was like, "You got to be kidding!" And and that all that was was a, a winter flock still together yeah. that had used that cattle farm as their feeding area. But it was deafening. I mean, it was just. I saw turkeys fighting. I saw them breeding. I saw them doing things I'd never seen them do. And we just sat there in the truck and watched them. I said, they're not afraid of this truck. They said, no. They said, as long as you don't open that door. They said, you open that door, this draw will empty in about five minutes. You don't even hear a turkey. They said, they're used to seeing these farmers in and out of here with tractors and trucks all the time. So just sit tight. So I wasn't going to get out anyway. I mean, it was 13, 14 gobblers walked by right full truck, right in front of the truck at 30 yards. You know, I'm like, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it for the longest time. But they, when they scattered out, as beautiful as that was, and they scattered out all over the prairie, and you started hearing a group over here and a group over there and a group over every direction. And that's why if you messed up, you just kept plugging away, and you were going to run up on another bird somewhere. And that was just one draw. That, was not, that wasn't our whole ranch. We had our ranch. Somebody asked me a week or two ago, talking about South Dakota, and they said, how many roost areas do you think was on just the ranch part where the where the the uh, lodge was we had a 16,000 acre ranch when like I said we had 35 to 40,000 total acres but just on that ranch alone on that 16,000 acres how many roost areas do you think you could name off the top of your head I said I thought sat there for a few minutes I said probably about 17 17 <laughs> different roost and I'm when I say roost now I'm not saying well there's two down there on that creek over there and there's right. there's a couple down at the southeast corner I'm talking about Okay, there's there's probably 15 birds there. You got to where you could just quick judge them. You know, this sounds like this could be, and it's easy to get fooled. You know, you can go. That's that sounds like you hear clients do it all the time. There must be 50 birds in there. No, there's not 50, but there there could possibly be 17, 18 birds in there. Um, that that the would work for me. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it did over and over and over and over. And we didn't ever, you know, we didn't overhunt it. We, we, protect, we protected it. We didn't hunt clients back to back to back on the same spot and all that kind of stuff. But the coolest thing, or one of the coolest things, was when you take somebody that was upper echelon of turkey hunting. You know, well, for instance, because uh, Strickland came out hunting with one year with Mossy Oak doing a hunt in the country show, and uh, he told me he said, "DJ, that's, that's the dangest thing I've ever seen in my life." And, and 
that that made me feel good because I knew I was hunting some of the best territory there was. When somebody like that who's been around and hunted as many places as he has to say something like that was a huge compliment, you know. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Very an experience cool. that a lot of people don't get to have. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, and I'm I'm very blessed with that. I know that for a fact. That's not something that uh, uh, a lot of people ever get to experience. So I'm very thankful for it too. And I know I'm just mm-hmm. running on. I told you, I told you today, Kim. I said, hey, you start talking about turkeys and a can of worms. Out, you'll be telling me, man, I got to go. I got. Hey, to you're in the right minutes. spot for talking about turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can cut the recorder off. We can just keep on. I don't care. <laughs> I won't cut the recorder off. We'll just keep on. <laughs> I would make, I don't care. Oh, I told my girlfriend, I said, I'm kidding. I got that podcast this evening. She said, oh, Lord. She knew exactly what that meant. She said, I'll see you upon. But she's cool with it. I mean, she, she loves turkey hunting, too. And uh, she's like, I'll see you tomorrow. Said, yeah. yeah. Anyway, what and you about to ask me? Your buddy Mike up there, he's still doing guided hunts on that ranch? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've got good ground. We just don't have as much as we used to. He's, he's, Mike is, gosh, he's got to be pushing 70 now. now. When I say that, don't, don't picture this old man running around with a cane. Mike can still go and he's good and he can put you in birds. And, and I mean, he knows what he's doing. Been doing mm-hmm. it a long time, but he's still got the operation there. He's, he's moved down the road, same highway we, we were on before, but it's on, it's in Fairfax, South Dakota. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, nothing fancy. I mean, he'll, he'll feed you. He's got a place to stay that's very adequate, more than adequate. Now, back in the day, when we had that ranch, man, we had this 4,000-square-foot uh, 4, lodge and uh, all that property. And we'd run, you know, 70, 80 hunters a year. We'd kill, you know, I think the most we ever killed in a, in a season was like um, maybe 102. And we didn't do that, you know, every year. We didn't try to do that every we just tried to fill people's tags and mm-hmm. then at the end of the season we'd have powwows and we'd go well we need to do different we don't need to back off you know mm-hmm. and we we never ran out of birds we ran out of the property we the guy sold the property and the next guy comes in and says no you know, we're going to do our own thing here so we had to go and that hurt yeah um, but and it, it was it was pretty tough but mike is still in operation now. he's probably he doesn't have near that that amount of property anymore but his property's good mm. But how much profit does, does one or two hunters need? You know, if somebody books a hunt, they're going to be taken care of. He doesn't overbook at all. He had zero hunters last year because of COVID, none. So I put a bit to go back. I want to go back now, right now. Yeah. We'll go. Maybe they go to fall season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, want to, I want to wait for spring. I, I like the spring. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I I really appreciate you coming on, and I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed your book. I I really did. It's it's one of the top ones I've read by far. It, it really was exactly yeah, I what I enjoy in a turkey book. And, I appreciate that, and and I'm, I try to hold true to that form, but it is a little more polished now than it used to be back when I wrote that. Well, when you write your second one, I can guarantee you you'll sell one copy to me. <laughs> well, that's good. That's all I need to know. I, yeah, I, you got one I buyer. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, I, when I was writing the book, I wasn't by any means trying to emulate anybody else. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing anyway. So how could I possibly begin to do what somebody that knows was in like a Gene Nunnery or uh, Colonel Tom Kelly or any of those guys mm-hmm. that really master it. You know, I I never professed to be 
anywhere near that and, and probably never will be in the neighborhood of it. But since I don't have that many years left on my life, I don't imagine to, to be able to get that good. But those guys, now they nailed it. Uh, I like Tunnel Tom stuff, and I, I still say one of my favorite books I've ever read is uh, The Old Pro Turkey Hunt. That's, just, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what I'd compare your book to. It, it read a lot like that, and that, that's I've one of my favorites as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. But there's a lot of good writers out there. There's a lot of good turkey hunters out there. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good turkey places places to go hunt them. You know, it's not. I don't think any in any of the the stuff that I do or, or that we do as outdoorsmen should be about bashing anybody else. You know, it's just about finding the good you can in it and uh, leaving it better than you found it. So. I, you know, we got, I don't know if y'all got kids and all that. I'm pretty sure you knew that I did by now, but mine are all grown and gone. But, man, that's fun fun times teaching those kids and passing it on down. Mm. So, so we, we got to. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, Donald, thank you so much again. I know we could definitely talk to you for a long time. We may have to get you back on here before you release your second book for yeah. round two. Anytime, anytime. I enjoyed it too. And it's, it's, it's always good sitting down talking to people that, that really get it, really understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I appreciate y'all having me on. I really do. Well, absolutely. I, I thank you for thank taking you. time out of your schedule to share your experiences and your stories with us. And I know the listeners are going to love this one. So thank you. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you again. All right. All right. See you later. Have a great evening. All right. All right. Goodbye. You too. Man, I love it. I, I said I, it before I, the interview. I love it. I love having guests on like him. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm so fired up about going back out West now. I'm not, I'm just ready. I'm ready to go right now. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to get back after Marion's after talking to him about it. I mean, he just has me tore up about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The it sounds like he he had just some prime prime Merriam's ground to hunt. Oh yeah. It, uh, you gotta love just hearing stories like that. And you know, for me, I can put myself in his shoes and you know imagine that exact hunt or those exact hunts. Mm-hmm. that he shared with us you know and i haven't read the book yet so i'm looking forward to getting my hands on the book oh, but man, i would well, imagine we're that's the same kind of stuff you're getting in the book yeah it is he as an author and the way he talked in our interview he writes similarly in my opinion he he tells stories like you're sitting there at the campfire with him it's not some poet trying to you know right. be a real wordsmith or something i mean he just tells you what happened and how it went down and you know you pick up a lot of good tips along the way out of his book but it's not because he's putting it in your face it's because you're learning of how he hunted yeah and it, it was a really good book i i cannot recommend it enough to everybody it, it really is a, a fantastic read well i am looking forward to life getting a little bit more back to normal so that I can have some free time to actually read something that I want to read instead of reading guidelines and loan applications and a measuring tape. I mean, those sound fantastic, too. I don't know who we can interview that wrote the book on those, but... Ooh. <laughs> Man, we'd have a bunch of unsubscribers to the show if we, <laughs> if we aired some of that stuff. <laughs> that is a fact. Yeah, so, you know, having a a talk with Donald Devereaux Jarrett yesterday 
got my mind completely off of work and all the stuff around the house that needs to be done and got me thinking about turkeys and it was just awesome mm-hmm. i know it, it's got me tore up about it i know just when you talk to somebody that oozes that enthusiasm about the same thing that you love it just makes it where you just ready to go i mean that that's how it is with me yeah yeah and he he's the guy so y'all listeners get you a copy of his book if you don't have one yet and He's on Facebook, and I believe he just joined Instagram, so reach out and tell him how much you enjoyed the episode and thank him for his time on here. As we've said before, that really helps us get guests when they know that they're being heard on our show. So do that, and I'll make that the favor of the week. I was just about to say that's the favor (laughs) of the week because that's what I was going to give, so perfect. There you go. There's our favor of the week. So y'all do that because I know I've talked to him quite a bit here recently on facebook messenger and he's just a great guy so he really is we truly appreciate him coming on yeah yeah good deal take us home andy all right let's wrap this thing up and with that i have to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week we know that you have choices we appreciate you spending your time with us we hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week goodbye bye thanks for tuning in You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Hunting Afternoon Birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.